Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side, LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dendi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Matthew J. Brownstein. Matthew is the CEO of Anahat Education Group and the Executive Director of the Institute of Interpersonal Hypnotherapy. Matthew founded the International Association of Interpersonal Hypnotherapists and OnlineMonastery.com, where he teaches the Anahat Meditation System. He is the author of five books, including The Sacred Geometry of Meditation, The Sutras on Healing and Enlightenment, and Interpersonal Hypnotherapy. Matthew is a student and teacher of a course in miracles, and he offers free classes on meditation, hypnotherapy, spiritual growth, and life mastery work through the Institute. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Talia. Matthew, as I mentioned reading your bio, you are the CEO of Anahat Education Group. Please tell us why your tagline is healing the mind, healing the body. My journey began, it's a big story, but at 19 years old, I had a really profound spiritual awakening that made me start questioning everything because I had experienced this all pervasive love and light and peace. And I wanted to share that with others. So I went into Chinese medicine, first philosophy and religion, but then what do you do with that as a career? So I went into Chinese medical studies, two different acupuncture colleges. So I was really dedicated to awakening people spiritually. So the enlightenment process, but also I started realizing 
because so much of that process is mental, right? When we're working towards spiritualization, spirit is already illuminated. The body doesn't really create its own problems. It doesn't move itself. It doesn't eat bad foods on its own, right? It's the mind that's doing all of this. So when I realized eventually through a lot of Chinese medical studies, all this energy that we talk about that gets blocked and we try to use acupuncture to relieve those blockages, it's largely mental and emotional. Once I found hypnotherapy, I dedicated my whole life really to that career. And I started giving lectures called Healing the Mind, Healing the Body. And they were really well attended because people love the simple idea that psychosomatic illness, meaning the mind causes the problem, of course, comes from the mind. But how many people, when you go to a doctor, for instance, are actually treating it on the mental level? So yeah, I just started speaking more and more about this theme, healing the mind, healing the body. And I've seen incredible results for healing the body using only the mind alone. Thank you so much for explaining that, Matthew. Please tell us what hypnotherapy is. So we use the altered state of hypnosis, obviously. But when we say hypnotherapy, now we're using powerful transformational modalities to access deeper levels of the mind. So in traditional hypnosis, you would put someone into the altered state and you would essentially do programming. You'd say things like, you're now feeling better or even things like your body is now going through accelerated healing or whatever it is you want to put in the programming. But in hypnotherapy, we can acknowledge that the mind just doesn't need to be reprogrammed. We need to understand what's going on in the subconscious in the first place, right? People are filled with a lot of negative memories, negative beliefs about themselves, negative emotions, and or decisions that were made in the past that hold us back. In hypnotherapy, we can access that deeper information, then actually change it by talking to it. So in traditional analytical styles of therapy, you're analyzing the subconscious. But in hypnotherapy, we're talking directly to it, where in programming, we're essentially just talking at it. In hypnotherapy, we're able to talk with it and figure out, okay, why are you upset? Why do you have those stress-induced headaches? Or why do you have irritable bowel syndrome? Why we can really get to the root cause of the issue and make the change on that level. I know you're passionate about working with people with cancer, and I've seen incredible results using hypnotherapy as an adjunct to traditional care because there's just so much we can do with the mind to help to not only heal the body, but to just improve the overall quality of life or the resilience to get through challenging times or the ability to reduce anxiety or depression around a really intense type of diagnosis. So I like to say anything the mind affects, hypnosis can work on. And since you asked about hypnotherapy rather than just hypnosis, that's where we have those powerful modalities that help us to get to the root cause of problems as well. Thank you, Matthew. You mentioned that you have had really good results supporting people with cancer. Would you please share some of those success stories with us? Yeah, I'm working with the gentleman right now, actually. And yeah, you and I spoke a while back and I was still working with him. So it's been months where, so he is diagnosed with leukemia, 71 years old. So, you know, that's a challenging time in your life to get such a diagnosis that he wasn't seeing any results with his doctors, with all the procedures they were doing. But we started using hypnotherapy and especially the way I worked with it. And we started seeing the white blood cell count was going down. The platelets were going up. And I keep seeing him week after week. His energy level seems like it's back to normal. Because of the medical treatments, he was urinating about 10 times a night. We got that down to two times per night. And that happened after one session. Once he addressed it, we worked on it. 
and we got his body to make the shift. So we use it as an adjunct to traditional care. I would never say that you should stop seeing your medical doctor, especially for something like cancer. But as an adjunct, it can support people spiritually on the mental level, of course, help them through their emotions. But we can do a lot on the physical level as well. One of my favorite stories, which was a similar diagnosis, cancer of some type of cancer of the blood. I never really bothered to learn the actual diagnosis. It doesn't matter in my model. I had a client, she was a psychologist and she referred a friend of hers who's a psychologist who had this cancer of the blood. And I said, why are you coming to me? You're a psychologist. And she said, we're not trained in the techniques you are. And we don't have the background in Chinese medicine. We don't do the work that you do. It's okay. I'm honored. We started working twice a week for about four months. When this woman walked in, she was emaciated. She was anemic. Her eyes were sunk in her head, huge bags under her eyes. She was given four months left to live. And honestly, she, I don't like when I say this, but she looked like walking death. She really looked like she was just ready to die. So twice a week for four months, we had completely resolved that. Two years later, I saw both of these ladies in a restaurant and they lit up when they saw me. I was thrilled. I'm like, wow, this woman's still alive. And they said, you're the one that made this happen. Like nothing was working until she started healing her mind, right? Because there's so much sadness and fear and anger and guilt and shame that people hold inside of themselves. And we don't realize that despite all our best efforts with lifestyle changes or working with physicians, we're sabotaging ourselves subconsciously in ways we don't even realize by you could say with all the guilt, people tend to hold attacking ourselves. So it was really through primarily working on that level. It wasn't just visualizations for healing. It was really transforming what her mind was doing that was causing physiological imbalance. And yeah, as far as I know, two years later after doing the work, that's one of many stories, two stories of many working with cancer and seeing really what I would call miraculous results. Thank you so much. I just want to applaud you, Matthew, for the wonderful work that you're doing and just helping people to really open their mind because cancer is more than just a physical disease. The work that you're doing is so important for people to help them look at the mind. Could you share a little bit more why it's so important to look at the mind when working with cancer? Yeah, really any medical condition. We want to say, let me approach it this way. When you have an ulcer, we could say, how do you feel about having the ulcer? And you say, oh, it makes me so angry. So we might say, okay, the physical thing caused the emotion. But my experience has been how you feel about your symptoms is quite often the set of emotions causing your symptoms. So is it that your ulcer causes your anger or does your anger cause your ulcer? Almost anybody would acknowledge non-medical people. Wow, if you hold tons of anger, you might end up with an ulcer, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or irritable bowel syndrome, right? These things that affect the gastrointestinal region specifically are strongly emotionally based, stress-induced headaches, right? The mind is doing that. We all know that the mind affects the body, right? Because we live in a body. I like to just use this simple example. Imagine having one powerful sexual thought and watch what happens to your body. You have an instant physiological response. Now imagine holding sadness, guilt, fear, anger, grief, shame for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's going to affect the body. We all know this, but when we see a symptom, we go to the doctor and we want the symptom to be gone. We seldom go to a practitioner and say, can you remove the root cause of 
my psychosomatic illness. I'm not saying all illness is psychosomatic, but let's just say a decent percentage, 25, 50%. I don't know the exact stats, but let's say 25% of illness is psychosomatic. Why not go to someone who specializes in transforming the mind to heal the body instead of only treating symptoms? So whether it's cancer or any condition, be willing to say, how does this make me feel? Or just say, how I've been feeling for the last 10, 20, 30 years, or even the year before I received the diagnosis, right? What was going on in my life? And again, the doctors and the patient will focus so much on the symptoms, but not making that connection. That emotion seriously influences the body. As a Chinese medical practitioner, you know, it was my background, which I don't practice now, but really one of the main reasons was Chinese medicine acknowledges that the emotions affect our physiology. Anger affects the liver. Sadness affects the lungs. Overthinking and ruminating affects the spleen pancreas system. Fear affects the kidneys. If you know that and you believe that, to not work on that level is really just such a disservice to oneself because I was in integrity with myself, knowing that, okay, this kidney imbalance we might be dealing with in Chinese medicine could be the result of fear But if all I did was put acupuncture needles in, but I never actually helped the person to shift from fear to love, I felt like I was doing my client and me a disservice because I'm not in integrity with myself if I know there's a root cause, but I'm not treating it because I don't have the training and how to deal with it. Once I found hypnotherapy, I was like, oh, here's a modality that systematically can heal the mind to heal the body. So yeah, I just didn't see there was any other way to live my life with integrity unless I was operating on that level. Thank you for sharing that, Matthew. For those people out there who are really on the fence about hypnotherapy, some people view it as, oh, this weird thing way out in space. What advice do you have for those people who are on the fence? Have an open mind enough to do some research. Our website, we have a whole tab about research and hypnotherapy, and it's not debatable anymore about whether it works. The research is absolutely out there. So if somebody's going to say, oh, hypnosis, you're going to make me cluck like a chicken. Just take a moment and ask, what does a professional, clinical, trained hypnotherapist actually do? And nobody pays me to sit in my office and to cluck like a chicken, right? So we have to get over the outdated myths and misconceptions about hypnosis. Realize it's not against religion. It's not taking away the power of your will. You're not out of control, right? So be willing to have the myths and misconceptions dispelled. And then I always recommend get a free consultation with a highly qualified, trained, credentialed hypnotist therapist, somebody who's operating within the law and ethics and really understand what they're doing and just talk about, could this modality help me? And I can almost guarantee a well-trained practitioner will be able to offer many solutions. So if it's somebody who's struggling with cancer, even using the mind to reduce the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation, like we could improve your quality of life. If you're anxious or depressed because of your diagnosis, we can work on that level. So I would encourage anybody, don't be intimidated by the word hypnosis. Just realize we're helping you to get into your own natural altered state of consciousness where you're simply, simply stated, relaxed, 
receptive and responsive, not unconscious, not asleep, not under my control, just relaxed enough to allow positive suggestions to go in and to influence your mind. There's nothing unsafe or unreligious or anything about it. It's become, and we're really for our institute, working to make it a much more respectable profession because even though we're having this conversation because people say, oh, hypnosis, right? It's just my job to get the message out there and to say, yeah, hypnosis, not, oh, hypnosis, but, oh, wow, I could actually use my mind to heal my body. Yeah, I'm just screaming it from the highest, highest towers I can get on to let people know you don't have to be afraid or skeptical of this modality. The scientific evidence, the research is there saying it works. And then just common sense says, wow, you could heal the mind to heal the body. Of course. Thank you. Matthew, what are some of the first things that you recommend people do when they receive a diagnosis as it relates to their emotions and their mind? I would go to the idea of learning that the body is a communication device. The body is going to, so I'm using the body to communicate to you right now, but more than just that, the body tells us what's going on. I had a little too much mayonnaise in my, <laughs> in my lunch and my body is telling me something, right? If your body's telling you, answer, listen to those communications, learn to translate the thing into a thought. So let's say a stress-induced headache. But if that comes from what is stress, okay, let's say that's just a lot of anger and fear that you're holding on to, right? Instead of saying, oh, I just have a headache, say, what emotions are causing the headache? And the way to tap into that, what thoughts are causing the thing. Learn to translate things into thoughts. You can just say, my headache makes me feel so. My cancer makes me feel so. My irritable bowel syndrome makes me feel so. All right, my IBS makes me feel so irritable. But now we want to say, is the irritability causing the IBS? Like your emotional irritability. So you just need to really own what are those emotions that are unresolved. And the truth is, even if there's no causal connection between, okay, my emotions must have caused this, if you acknowledge negative emotions and you resolve them, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more peaceful. You're going to be more optimistic. So even if the mental emotional changes that someone like me could help to facilitate, they might not make the physical change. I can't guarantee that at all. But I can say, hey, if I got you happier, you're happier. If I got you to feel more peace, you're at peace. I'm a Course in Miracles teacher and practitioner. And the course itself says that peace is health. When you're in a state of inner peace, your body's going to reflect that. But the first step really would be, first of all, I recommend working with a well-trained practitioner, but something people could do on their own is learn to identify the connected emotions. And then you want to discover, and there's plenty, self-help modalities to start working through those emotions. Also understand your emotions don't arise just by themselves. They come about because of our belief systems. For instance, if I believe I'm powerless, I might feel angry. If I believe I'm alone, I might feel sad or scared. If I think I'm not good enough, I could feel insecure. It's the thought that causes the emotion, an unresolved emotion. Emotion is okay. It's when we suppress it and hold on to it that it starts manifesting in the body. But also realize your beliefs and emotions don't just come about by themselves. Those come about from your past events, which are now memories. So it's really in my work, it's about learning to link the memories in the subconscious 
and the people involved in those memories with the beliefs, with the emotions, with the symptoms. When it comes down to it, because all of these memories deal with relationships in some shape or form, it really leads to the importance of forgiveness, right? So if you're angry and the anger is causing a physical problem, then forgiveness is a solution. Therefore, all psychosomatic illness could really just be seen as a lack of forgiveness, right? So people don't always realize that because they just don't take the time to go that deep. If this symptom comes from this emotion and that comes from past events that I'm still holding on to, it means your symptom is a direct manifestation of something you haven't forgiven. There's no sacrifice asked of us when we choose to forgive and let go. All we're letting go of is something that doesn't exist. Our anger doesn't protect us. All the defensiveness and negativity doesn't improve our health. And when we let it go and really return to peace and love, the I could just say common sense wise, but the studies show your physiology will respond in really positive, remarkable ways. So yeah, first step is learn about the mind-body connection, and then start diving into what are your own personal memories, beliefs, and emotions. But that can be really hard for someone with no training to work through on their own. So really reach out to a very well-trained hypnotherapist. Be sure they're operating within the law, within the scope of their credentials, under a clear code of ethics. And ideally, if they have experience, of course, with working with psychosomatic illness. That was a great explanation. And you pointed this out as well, that it's hard for people to take the time to sit there and think about those things and put those pieces together. So I can really see the importance of talking to a professional like yourself, because you can help create that space. That person is there, they slow down, they listen, and they have someone like you to guide them through that process. And we're not alone in that, right? There are people yeah. like me want to help. And I have, we're an institute of hypnotherapy. I have like over a thousand graduates now out there helping to heal the world. And the goal is actually a thousand graduates that we can measure are seeing 15 clients per week. That's 15,000 hypnotherapy sessions happening a week. That's our goal to be able to measure that. So I'm always encouraging people, reach out to us. We can refer you to a graduate. I might not be able to see every person who reaches out to us directly, we have very high level, highly qualified people who can help. So yeah, we're not alone. There are lots of people who can help in the mental, emotional level. And sometimes you need like traditional psychotherapy. And we have a lot of graduates who are psychologists who are using our techniques. So yeah, one way or another, reach out. We're happy to help. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Earlier, Matthew, you mentioned miracles. What are miracles? I default to A Course in Miracles on that. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but there's an amazing book that explains it in the most sublime way that I have discovered. The course itself teaches miracles are mental. They're not physical. So it's not when we say, oh, cancer instantly went away. The miracle isn't that the cancer went away. It's that the cause of the cancer went away. So cause and effect. Miracles have to focus on the cause not the effect, right? So if my anger causes irritable bowel syndrome, the miracle is not to heal the IBS. The miracle is to heal the anger. Yet again, it goes back to why is there anger? That's because of our thoughts. So a miracle is a shift in your mind that has a cascading effect down through the emotional being, through you might say the energy body, down into our physical body. So if the body is just an effect, if the energy body is just an effect, if the emotions are an effect, we have to say, what's the root cause? The root cause essentially is always mind, right? So a miracle is just a shift from fear to love, 
or really any negative emotion. But in A Course in Miracles, and a lot of people understand this now, there's only two emotions, fear or love. All the hurt, sadness, anger, rage, all of that essentially is just because you're in a state of fear. Miracle is the shift from fear to love. It's from illusion to truth. It's from ego to spirit. Ego meaning a false sense of self, which feels separate from everything, which is separate from others, who is antagonistic and defensive and angry. A miracle is when you let that go through forgiveness, especially self-forgiveness. So when forgiveness occurs, it has to be for you and anyone else you're thinking about. But we always, in our protocols, we start with forgiving yourself first. Once you forgive, you're essentially just letting go. So a miracle is really a letting go of what you made up in exchange for I don't know how deep we're going to go into spiritual religious <laughs> themes here, but I'll use the God word once in this interview. You're letting go of what you made up for what God created. You're letting go of your illusions for that which is true. And the truth sets you free. So what's real? Fear or love? Love is what's real. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real, right? So fear is an illusion based on past perception, but it has an effect. So once we make this shift out of the hurt, sadness, fear, anger, guilt, grief, which can all be resolved, then the real miracle is seen as that which caused that shift, which is really a forgiveness, letting go again of what you're doing in your mind to return to who you really are as peace and love, which again is what got me into this way of thinking. When I had my first spiritual awakening at 19 years old, it was just all love. And I realized that's the answer. So in the Course in Miracles, there's only one problem and one solution. The problem is feeling separate, separation from source, separate from love, separate from healing energy, from divine light and love. And the miracle shifts us into the one solution, which is oneness. Right, so miracles return us to love. They return us to oneness and they happen to restore health. So if that's what can motivate people to consider peace and love through forgiveness, that they're going to be, oh, be healthier for this, great. But miracles aren't meant to necessarily convince people of anything, but it is my job to motivate people, to help them to understand if you make a shift in your mind, you can have a profound change in your life. And miracles are not bound by time and space because they're mental, right? So how quickly can you change your mind? I have one of my most significant cases was a woman with Crohn's disease, 70 years old, had it for the majority of her adult life. We resolved that completely under medical supervision documented in 10 hours, right? So miracles, and it's not only one miracle, you know, those five sessions, two hour sessions. So in 10 hours, that woman no longer has Crohn's disease. The miracle is not she doesn't have Crohn's. The miracle is what you can't measure, which is the inner peace that she now has. Wow. I love this. It's just such a deep conversation and you're really connecting the dots for a lot of people out there. I do want to ask Matthew, just listening to you, would you say that another part of miracles are the things that you believe? Does that tie uh, back yeah. to your beliefs? Oh, sure. Miracles are mental right? and beliefs are mental. So the things we believe might seem irrelevant in some ways. However, in A Course in Miracles, it says there are no neutral thoughts. Every thought has creative power. So no, if, if I believe Democrat or Republican, you might say, oh, no big deal. But if we really go down to what's really going on in our beliefs, they're the beliefs about ourself that matter. So as a hypnotherapist who's been practicing and teaching now for 25 years, I have heard every negative belief a person can bring up. And those are things like, 
I'm bad, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, I'm dirty, I'm ugly, I'm disgusting, I'll never amount to anything, I should be seen and not heard, I'm nothing, I'm useless. I'll start repeating myself if I keep going through the list, but there's a good 30 or so or beliefs people hold. That's what causes the negative emotions. When a negative emotion is not resolved, it causes imbalances in the energy body, which manifests physically. So by healing those beliefs, transforming those beliefs, or you could say correcting those beliefs, that's where the miracle occurs. So a miracle is a correction, which occurs in the mind. And why does it need to be a correction? For instance, because a person might believe they're unlovable, but they're not unlovable. And why does that negative belief of unlovable have such a negative effect? Because your inner being knows it's wrong. So the Bible says a kingdom divided against itself will always fall. If you look at that, what does that mean metaphorically? When we're divided against ourselves, part of me says I'm unlovable, but I guarantee there's another part of the mind says I am lovable. That conflict is really the root cause of all problem. Because if we just were in a space of love, there wouldn't be conflict. If you're like, okay, I am love, I am loving, I am lovable, I'm loved. You're not going to have any negative emotional response from that. So yes, you're right on to say the thing we target are the false beliefs. Yet I always will remind anybody, it's more than just the beliefs, it's the origin of the belief, because the memories act as evidence for why somebody might say, for instance, they're unlovable. So I say, no, you're lovable, but your subconscious is going to flash back to a memory and say, nope, dad never loved me. I must be unlovable. So we need to not only address the memories, but realize it's not just one memory. Your dad was your dad your whole life or whatever their relationship looked like is different for everybody. But generally we get one mom and one dad, not everybody. We have one mom, one dad, and they influence us our entire childhood and sometimes your entire life. So realizing that one belief of unlovable is connected to people. So our brand of hypnotherapy, what one of my books is about and our school is called is interpersonal hypnotherapy. And that really speaks to if you're going to correct beliefs in the mind, you need to understand the supporting evidence for why those beliefs appear to be there. And that's not just the memories, it's the relationship within the memory. So again, it goes back to forgiveness, right? Forgive your dad. He did the best he could with his given resources. You're not unlovable. Forgive yourself for believing you are unlovable. Return to the truth. You are lovable. Forgive and love your dad because deep down he does love you and you love him too. So have a gestalt, have a hug, have a oneness that, le- you know, mentally that leads to, okay, dad, I love you. I understand you. We have commonality. We did the best we could as human beings. I forgive you. I have compassion for you. When all of those components of healing occur, forgiveness, understanding, commonality, acceptance, and love, all of that leads to forgiveness and compassion. When we're in that state, we'll be at peace. Our relationships heal. Our connection to spirit is brought back into wholeness. Our mind is healed. Our emotions are healed. The energy body rebalances itself and the physical body and our behaviors rebalance. That all happens from focusing at the very root cause, which again is beyond even the belief systems. It's an unresolved relationship. So forgiveness, always the answer. If you study the miracles in the Bible, when Christ was healing people, supposedly, you know, assuming that happened, he kept saying there, buddy, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Why? 
why why is forgiveness so important? Uh, I think a lot of us are catching on that it is, but in this conversation, yeah, don't look at symptoms, energy, emotions, or even beliefs. Look at the relationships that are spewing all of that. Bring that to forgiveness and the ripple effect is beyond what most people can imagine. And that's why we do see miracles. But as long as we focus on the mental level, which is where the miracle occurs. Thank you for going into detail and sharing that. This is why it's so important for people to understand that healing is not just a physical practice. It involves a lot of different components that we need to be aware of, because if we're only focusing on the physical, the likelihood of us getting sick again or relapsing and things like that are very high. And so I hope that the folks listening are really taking this in and understanding that your emotions play a huge part in healing. Yes, Definitely. And people are afraid to look at their emotions, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, the work that I do and the work that I teach is duplicable. Anybody can learn this. Anybody can do this. Yet it's not that the modalities don't work. Like I know how to heal anyone, but the challenge is getting them to look at their emotions. And part of why somebody might not be willing to is when I, I was like, why can't I get in? Why can't I get into their subconscious? Why is it so hard? Eventually, this is the 25 years of doing this now, but after about a year or two, I realized, People hate themselves. Oh my God, this person is willing to admit how angry they are at their mom or their dad, but they don't want to look at their emotions because they really despise who they are inside. It's important to realize that assessment of self that causes you to feel like I'm despicable. I hate myself. That's wrong. (laughs) What I encourage people to do is if you're going to go into your emotions, don't be afraid of it because all of that is based on a false self. What we discover when we really truly heal is that you're a glorious being. You're a beautiful divine being. You're everything you've ever wanted to be. You won't discover through deep inner work. Like there's no reason to be afraid to look inside. Whatever you find, the shadow self, the wounded inner child, the negative past memories, all of that can be healed. That stuff is temporary. It's in a temporary holding pattern. It's based on the past, which doesn't even exist anymore and it can be released. So yeah, if somebody's listening to this interview and they're catching on to, my God, I think I want to do this, but I'm afraid to look at what's inside. A well-trained practitioner can take you through that stuff in such a short period of time. It's worth the price of admission, even though it's, and I don't just mean financially, right? Like you think, oh my God, I'm going to have to sacrifice something or look at something I don't want to see. It's worth it. There's no sacrifice asked of you. And whatever you're going to look at, It's like taking off dark glasses. You just have to acknowledge, oh, I'm wearing tinted lenses. Just acknowledge there's a problem. When you take the glasses off, you're not going to be upset that you had on dark glasses. Just forgive yourself. Let it go. Come back to the light. Come back to peace. Come back to love. You'll be really glad you did. Thank you, Matthew. You have a podcast called Illuminated Mind. Please tell us what your podcast is about and what you hope your listeners get from it. Yeah, thanks. Illuminated Mind is based on very much what we're talking about, to go as deep as possible, right? So there's wonderful podcasts like yours. We talk on many different levels. The podcast that I run is generally just saying, what's the deepest place that we can go to? So the enlightenment process, as I said, I started all this because my own personal spiritual awakening, and which was an illumination, really, it's like literally enlightened or illuminated, you just get filled with light, you get filled with love, and that's extremely valuable. So when I realized, okay, the enlightenment process is extremely valuable, but when I realized it's synonymous with the healing process, 
then yeah, it just became healing the mind, healing the body. Yet my work is always encouraging people to open up to deeper spirituality, to explore why the world's saints and sages are so incredible, right? You read the stories of these people and to me, those became the role models, right? So Christ and Buddha being the well-known ones, but you can study any religion and find dozens and dozens of gloriously enlightened beings who can, so instead of like becoming a doctor or a psychologist, I just wanted to be a great saint. I don't claim to be one, but a humility, you should say, you should never claim that you're there. But the Illuminated Mind podcast is all about really helping to bring people to those states that other human beings have gotten to as well, and to do it without strong religious overtones, to just say, there's a universal experience that every religion talks about through all the saints and sages. They all talk about compassion, love, peace, joy, oneness, service to others. So yeah, my work is just about getting as many people to talk about that as possible. Matthew, on a personal note, you mentioned that you had a spiritual awakening at 19. That is pretty young. Is that something that you were seeking or did it just happen and you're like, what's going on? Would you share a little bit about that? Sure. It was a first experience of many and now really. It's not even an experience that was once had because all experiences become memories. Now it's really just a living experience any day. And even if I feel a little bit disconnected to it, I can meditate for two minutes, tap back in and I'm right there. So what is that experience? I wasn't seeking it. I didn't know it was possible. I was in college, I was a liberal arts major. I was atheistic and agnostic. I didn't know anything about anything. My family was not religious or spiritual. I had taken a course on ethics because, you know, it's a liberal arts major, philosophy and religion. So I learned the very basics. I knew Buddha had an enlightenment, but I didn't even know how to spell Buddhist at the time. I I know that because I looked at my journal and Buddhist was spelled wrong. So I really knew nothing about it. But after I had the experience, I'm like, maybe this had something to do with what happened to Buddha. But I can't even say that I was searching for it. I just like anybody probably heard that idea. Buddha sat under a tree, got enlightened. But what's all of that about? What happened? What happened to me was in an instant, which is how they say it happens. It went from, I want to say darkness, but I don't want to, it's, I'm just going to say normal, the way most people experience life, where time and space is real where matter seems real, where up and down, in and out, left and right. It's like the world of duality, but I would go to darkness. In enlightenment or the glimpse of enlightenment, that first experience was just a glimpse. It's where everything is experienced, not just philosophized or believed in, but experienced as one. So I went from duality to oneness, from darkness to light. It's like the curtains were opened and all the light came in. And it blew, literally blew my mind because I was face to face with the divine. There's no other way to say it. I didn't believe in God, but I was like, oh, this is God. Whatever they call God, this is it. And I knew from direct experience, this is eternal. This doesn't go away. I knew that life, the eternal nature of spirit was real. Like at that moment, I'm like, I'm not a body. I don't die when a body dies because I'm not a body. I am the light. We are all the light. This happened to me right after making love with my girlfriend at the time. And there's nothing unusual about that. It wasn't our first time or anything, but we were just lying in bed. And that's when that happened. And I started talking the way I'm talking now. And she was scared. She's like, who are you? What are you saying? I'm like, I don't know. The whole room is just light. There's nothing but love. We're all the same being. Like when you have some kid, because I was young, who's saying that. Yeah, she was scared about it. But I sat down. I started journaling that night. I wrote 20 pages I'd never written before in my life, at least 
except for high school papers and a little bit of college papers. But this was the first time I actually started writing my own writings because I had something significant to say. It took a year, 368 days actually, to tap into it again. But I learned during that first year, I started learning meditation, yoga, tai chi, again, studying. I changed my major to religion and philosophy. It was that significant. And I needed to tap back into it again because it went away the next morning after the first experience. It was like, where, where did all the light go? Where did all the love go? And then I learned there is a spiritual path and there are techniques to help us to progress in the path. And when you really practice those, you can start tapping in again and again. So I became an avid meditator. And there are times in my life where I was doing six to 12 hours a day of meditation. Currently, I probably do at least four of formal meditation, four hours every day. It's just so important to stay attuned and connected to that because when we're not, we get depressed, we get scared. It's not only just like bliss and love, you can feel euphoric from drugs. It's not just that, it's the divine guidance that's inherent in it. It's the wisdom. I was just talking to someone yesterday and she had a spiritual awakening and she said she was getting downloads. She was channeling knowledge and wisdom was coming to her. I'm like, yeah, that's what happened to me and what continually happens every day. So knowing who you are, knowing your mission, knowing your purpose, like for instance, the gentleman I'm working with, leukemia, I started taking him at 71 years old through our life mastery course. This is a course designed for people to know who they are, to know their mission, and to create success in every aspect of their life. And he said, why are you introducing this to me? I'm in my 70s. This is supposed to be retired and all that. And I said, there's a quote from Richard Bach's book, Illusions, it said, here's a test. If you want to know if your mission on earth is finished yet, if you're still here, it's not done, right? So we all have a mission and a purpose. Why would your body restore itself to health if there was no reason for it to be alive, right? But if you are useful and valuable and you have a mission and purpose, and that's divinely inspired, you have a completely different view on life. So again, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm religious, but knowing that there's a divine mind that like in Taoism, it's called the Tao. It's the flow and harmony that's directing the whole universe. And it's harmonious and it's inherently good to tap into that changes your entire life. Yeah, it doesn't matter what we believe in our religions. That's great. But if it can get us to sit on a meditation cushion and tap into that directly, it's worth every bit of effort. Thank you so much, Matthew, for sharing that. I think that your story is really important because it shows people what's possible and what can happen when you have those spiritual awakenings and you kind of let it in, you don't run from it. Yeah, I don't know. There's so many people who might be turned off by talk like this. So I tried to keep it non-religious and just, for instance, in A Course in Miracles, it says a universal theology is impossible but a universal experience is not only possible, but necessary. So we can all have that experience. Who wouldn't want to feel overwhelming love and peace and joy and guidance? And then that's necessary in the sense that until we all do that, we're not going to be at peace on this planet together. There'll still be war and conflict and all these issues. So I believe the true solution to all human suffering, which is what the Buddha tapped into as well, is get on a meditation cushion, right? Just figure out how to tap into who you truly are and what your purpose is. Once we all do that, it's going to be golden. <laughs> Until then, there's a lot more unnecessary suffering. Thank you, Matthew. You have shared so much enlightening information, and I hope that what you've shared will encourage people to at least look into hypnotherapy and reach out to you and your organization so that 
at least have the conversation, figure out if it's for you. Is there anything, Matthew, that you would like to share that we have not covered yet before we end? Thank you. Just to segue from what you just said, like, if not now, then later, I was once talking to a Jewish rabbi and he said, oh, yes, we believe in reincarnation, but only a fool waits until their next lifetime to do what they can do now. In Zen practice, when we get on the meditation cushion, it's considered a matter of life or death, because if you're not enlightened by the time your body drops away, like what happens? Like knowing that the thing called death is coming for everybody and, and there's potential sickness coming for a lot of people. So I would say, don't delay, <laughs> don't postpone your joy, don't delay bliss, don't put it off for another time. If you're sick or suffering or in pain, there are solutions. There are, I'm going to say, mental technologies. There are modalities. There are techniques that can help those changes to occur. So yeah, don't be patient when it comes to healing and enlightenment because sickness and death are not patient. It's hard for people to want to talk about until we're actually you know, dealing with illness. Or you just hope. I hope it doesn't happen. So yeah, don't delay. If you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're in pain, reach out to somebody like me or reach out to our institution. There's so many modalities that can help. Matthew, if people are interested, where can they find out more information? Yeah, two different websites. One is instituteofhypnotherapy.com. So that's our hypnotherapy training, state licensed. It's 500 hours, one of the most comprehensive, robust trainings. Just the core itself is 500 hours and goes way beyond that. And then, of course, private sessions, possibly with me, but usually we refer out to graduates and high-level practitioners, instituteofhypnotherapy.com. For those who want to go very deep into meditative teachings, onlinemonastery.com is one of my other side projects dealing with some of my other books. It's a really powerful meditation system, all online, completely free. So I don't do that for any monetary gain. I'm just happy to get the message out there. So yeah, definitely your listeners who want to go deep into the spirituality, the school does, but the online monastery goes much deeper. So onlinemonastery.com. Thank you, Matthew. I want to thank you so much for your time, all the information that you've shared and helping us to think more on a deeper side of healing. It's so important. I've always believed that and I believe it even more now, just the way that you were able to walk us through the different successes that you've had in explaining everything. So thank you so much, Matthew. Oh, thank you, Tilly. I'm honored, grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.